Hey friends, welcome to Girls' Night. I'm Stephanie Mae Wilson, and I am so happy that you're here. Each week, I have a girlfriend over, and we talk through one of the biggest questions we have about our lives as women. We're talking about friendships and faith and relationships and self-confidence, about our calling in life and how to live every bit of our lives to the absolute full. Life is so much better and easier and absolutely more fun when we navigate it together as girlfriends, and I cannot wait to get started. So friends, I cannot believe it, but this is our final episode of season 12, and we're ending it with a conversation I know you're gonna love. Today, I'm talking with my friend, Jenna Dunay. We're talking about how to get hired for that job that you have been really, really wanting. When we originally aired this episode, Jenna was a Nashville-based career coach, but now she has officially made a career transition of her own to be the chief learning officer for a wealth management firm. So she's no longer career coaching professionally, but the advice she shared in this conversation still holds true. And I love that we get to see her living out the things that she teaches in this episode in her own life. She is a boss. She is just incredible. In this episode, Jenna's going to teach us how to know when it's time to move on from a job that you don't love. She's going to teach us what to include on your resume, tips for networking and job interviews, how to negotiate your salary, and so much more. You're going to love this conversation. My favorite part was when she explains uh, how to respond to those dreaded interview questions like, tell me about yourself or what's one of your weaknesses? Let me tell you, friends, by the end of this conversation with Jenna, you are going to be totally prepared to land that job that you've been wanting. But before we dive in, there's something I wanted to share with you. I am so excited to say that registration for my online course, Love Your Single Life, is opening up again on August 30th. So that's next Monday at 8 a.m. Friends, I'm so excited about this, and I would love to have you join us. If this is your first time hearing about the course, I just want to tell you a little bit about it. Love Your Single Life is the only digital course and study for Christian women that teaches a step-by-step plan to savor, enjoy, and truly make the most of your single life, all while setting yourself up for amazing relationships and marriage in the future. Here are just a few of the things that we talk about in this four-week course. We talk about how to start really enjoying your single life and making the most of every moment. I'll teach you a powerful tool for building confidence, which also happens to be your dating secret sauce. We'll talk about how to find good quality men to date, even when it feels like you've run out of options. We'll talk about how to invest in your friendships, your relationship with God, your calling and passions, and in your relationship with yourself. We'll talk about what to do with your sex drive while you're single because it doesn't wait to show up until we're married, right? We'll talk about how to stay close to your girlfriends even when you're in different stages of life and so much more. So again, registration for the course is only open twice a year and the next time is on August 30th. You can find out all about the course and get your name on the waiting list at loveyoursinglelife.com. That link will also be in our show notes. The other thing is I know some of you guys may be listening to this after August and that's totally fine. Head over to the website anyway, put your name on the waiting list and you'll be the first to know the next time the course opens back up. I cannot wait to share this with you. Okay, with that said, let's jump into today's episode. Here's my conversation with Jenna. I'm here with my new friend, Jenna Viviano, and seriously, get a pen out, get out a piece of paper. You are going to want to take notes. This woman has wisdom for us. I'm so excited that you're here. Jenna, thanks so much for coming to our girls' night. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh my gosh. Well, so for women who aren't familiar with you yet, would you just tell us who you are and what you do and give us a fun fact about yourself? Oh, this will be fun. Okay. Um, Well, I'm Jenna and I am a career coach and entrepreneur who specializes in helping men and women figure out what they want to do in their careers and then teach them how to get there. So pretty simple, Um, work with lots of different types of people, but mainly helping people figure out, hey, what's my career pathway? How do I actually make sure that my resume and LinkedIn work? Um, All the practical things, you know, your college never taught you how to do, I teach people how to do. Yes. Um, So that's that's what I do for a living and for fun also, both both coincide. Um, But for, for my fun fact... So my fun fact is that entrepreneurship runs in my veins and um, I'm Italian, Viviano, easy last name, right? But my family owned a macaroni company back in the day. So they came over from Italy and moved into Pittsburgh, into Chicago, into I think St. Louis. And they open up this big macaroni company. And fortunately, it's no longer in existence because if it was, I would probably be a multimillionaire and we probably wouldn't be talking today. So that would be sad. But (laughs) um, yeah, my family owned a macaroni company, which is the most Italian thing probably to do. (laughs) That is amazing. Jenna, I'm so jealous. I feel like I have no Italian blood in me at all, but I do like in my soul. In my soul, I am Spanish and I am Italian and I'm just convinced that that's the way it is. And um, 
the girls who have been listening for a long time know that I'm not the best cook, but Italian food is always my go-to. It's my favorite thing to eat, and it's my really the only thing I can make. And my little sister for Christmas bought my husband and I a pasta maker because oh. we actually went to Italy a couple months ago, and we took a cooking class and learned how to make pasta. And so over the um, Christmas holiday, we were sort of in charge of cooking and feeding everyone one night, and, and we made tons and tons of fresh homemade pasta. Nice. It is the most impressive thing I've ever done in the kitchen. It's probably the only <laughs> impressive thing I've ever done in the kitchen, but pasta making is going to be like, it's going to be my one trick. I'm so jealous and impressed by your fun fact. <laughs> well, I can't amazing. say that I definitely have any of the cooking genes. I don't think those got passed down to me. I also only have one party trick in the kitchen and it's making focaccia bread. So we're Are you going to say, what's your party trick? Okay. But the <laughs> focaccia, that's, that's a really great party trick. Yes. I got the idea from, there's a Netflix uh, documentary called Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. And the, I think it's the first one. And she talks about, she goes to Italy, I believe. And maybe it's the second one. I don't know. But she talks about focaccia bread. And and I was like, I'm inspired. I'm going to make some focaccia bread. So the next day I made some focaccia bread and people ate it. So I figured that was a win. Seriously, if they eat it and if they don't like audibly or like they don't visibly like shudder when they're eating it. I think, you know, you've succeeded. Um, love that show on Netflix. I feel my go-to on Netflix is any cooking show, any food show. So I'm a, I'm an avid, I'm a food fan, uh, not quite gifted in the kitchen, but I'm a a big food fan. So I love that. I think having one party trick is a really, really great thing. That's all I have to offer. Yes. Yes. (laughs) One thing I'm usually like the appetizers and maybe like I'll bring a dessert from the store kind of girl. Anyway. Um, so Jenna, I was poking around on your website and on your homepage, you have words that resonated with me so much. And I wanted to just read them. I don't normally read people's websites. I'll be interested. Okay. Yeah. Tell me. Yeah. I'm going to tell you, um, just because I feel like girls will, will instantly connect and, and I'll read this as you guys are all running for your pen and your pad of paper. Cause you're really going to need it. Okay. So Jenna, you said, do you hate your job? Real talk. <laughs> life is too short for that nonsense. It's time to get out of your rut and into a thriving career. You said, I'm here to make you become irresistible to recruiters and hiring managers. I'm going to help you take back control of the job search, become a standout candidate and help you land your dream career. And you also promise to make the process fun. And I know that all the women who are listening just turn up the volume because this is so hard. My husband and I, um, I've told this story on the podcast a couple of times, but uh, my husband and I lost our jobs. We were working at the same company and we lost our jobs three months before our wedding, Mm -hmm. which was stressful. (laughs) Yes, very stressful. Can you say stress? (laughs) Yes, uh, a lot of unneeded stress. Um, So we, we were applying for jobs and my gosh, I filled out so many online applications and I tweaked my resume a thousand times and I wrote the best cover letters I could think of. And I did not hear back from anybody. It just, it is so hard to one, find a job and two, get yourself noticed above all of the other people that are applying. I'm sure my, my resume was in a stack of like a thousand for some of those jobs. So, and I mean, I know I'm not the only one who has felt totally frustrated and and intimidated by this. So I want to start at the beginning. Tell us actually a little bit about your background. Like how did you get here? How did you start doing the work you did? And then we're going to dive in and I'm going to ask you all kinds of questions that I know (laughs) we all have on this subject. Yeah. So my story is a little bit convoluted in how I got here. If you would have told me in college that I would have ended up being a career coach, I would have said, what's that? How do I become that? And do I really want to do that? (laughs) Um, And I went to school, I got a finance degree and I got a marketing degree. I had no idea what I wanted to do. And my parents lovingly pushed me into, into finance saying, Hey, that's a reasonable career. Hey, you should try it out. And I said, okay. And someone gave me a job and I said, okay, I'll, I'll work in that. So I landed my first job. I worked, ended up working in investment banking. Um, so if you're familiar with investment banking at all, it is a very, very rough lifestyle that's associated with it. I was working a hundred hours a week in my first job. I was mentally drained. I was physically drained. As you can imagine, I developed an eating disorder during that time period. It was terrible. Oh my! (laughs) It was really awful. All this time I wasn't really a believer. I had grown up going to church, but I really didn't understand what faith really meant to me. And especially in that job, I was, I was just a hot mess to say the least. 
And I remember there was this moment where I was on a Saturday morning because I was at work. Um, naturally, in oh a Saturday morning, I was at work. I was laying on the bathroom floor. I had just had an episode with, uh, I had bulimia. And so not that we're getting super personal here real super fast. <laughs> hey, it's girls night. That um, is what this is all about. <laughs> yeah. And I was just, I was laying on the bathroom floor with my, you know, my head against the floor. And I just said, God, I don't know if you're real, but if you are, you have got to get me out of here. Oh. And a couple weeks later, I had a sorority sister from my college reach out to me and say, Hey, there's this job at the New York stock exchange. I think it'd be really good for it. We need to get you out of where you're at. And I was just like, I have no time to prepare. Okay, I'll go. I went to that interview and I, it was the worst interview I've ever done. I cried during the interview. Amazing. <laughs> it was the worst thing I've ever done. And, um, somehow, some way they granted me the job. So I ended up working at the New York stock exchange, got out of investment banking and worked on wall street for a couple of couple more years, which was an amazing, amazing experience. And it's a historic building. It's a part of our country's history. I got to see all these companies go public. And while I was there, I got to actually explore different things that I was interested in. I talked to the marketing department. I talked to the PR department and um, realized that I had a knack for, for sales and talking to people. Like my favorite job that I did at the New York stock exchange was touring the CEOs around the exchange and telling them what was, what, what the different places were and what it meant and the history behind it. That's amazing. Well, maybe I'll be a tour guide. No, no, not a tour guide probably, but I thought sales might be something that was interesting to me. So I kind of transitioned from there and, and, longer story with that, but I transitioned and ended up working for a startup. At the time, I was the 33rd employee for this really small career platform called themuse.com. If you've never heard of it before, I highly recommend writing that down, themuse.com. It has a wonderful resources for career advice and coaches and companies that are interested in hiring people that care about culture. So it was just an amazing experience. And I got to grow with that company over the course of two years. Um, And simultaneously, I started a side hustle and about career coaching. Um, Because I was in that space and I had a story that I was pretty good at figuring out how to land offers and get job offers. And so I wanted to teach other people how to do it and um, ended up going full time when I moved out of New York about a year and a half ago um, and moved here to Nashville. So that's a little bit about my story, a lot jam packed in there. That's amazing. Okay. I'm so glad we got to have some background. Yeah. I'm going to jump in and ask you just a ton of questions. How do you feel about that? Yeah, please do. (laughs) Okay. Um, So the first question is you know, on your homepage, I, I kind of, I love everything that you said. So I sort of broke our questions down in terms of that. So um, that's our little outline, if if that's helpful. Yeah, um, that works. So the first question, you talked about hating our job. And I think that so many of us have been there if we're not there right now. But I, I think something that happens is that a lot of us figure, you know, this is life. We don't always love our jobs. This is part of adulthood. And in some ways, I think that's true. Even our dream jobs don't always feel like a dream, but how do we know when it's time to move on or look for a different opportunity? When is, where's that line between I'm having a hard day and this is not the right place for me? Yeah. So I usually tell people, you're never going to have 100% dreamed up all the time. I created my my job, essentially, and what I do now, and I don't love it 100% of the time, right? So, right, yes. but I But I feel like if we are at about, we need to like reevaluate how we look at work and how we are presenting ourselves in work. And so the first thing is, if 80% of the time we're happy, it's usually probably a good fit. A lot of companies go through changes. And so if, you know, I've been at companies before where there's been culture shifts and it's been uncomfortable and there's stretching and growing pains... If that's going on beyond six months and you hate getting up every morning, that would be a good time to start thinking about, hmm, it might be time for me to start to move on and look at other opportunities. Before that, though, I usually tell people to try and stick it out um, because it just could be growing pains. It could be you trying to learn a new skill set and you're getting frustrated, or it could just simply look like, hey, I need to stay put because it's going to help me get to a get to the next level in my next opportunity. So it's a combination of one of those things. I really believe that if you are are most of the time happy in your job, it's not time to move on. But if you've been like every morning, it's painful to get up for a long period of time, six months or more, it might be time to start looking. Okay. So on the subject of timelines, how mm-hmm. long should we stay in a job. I think for a long time, there was an idea that, you know, we, we should stay in jobs for two years or more, because if we hop around more often than that, it makes us look flaky or, um, it, it just is sort of a red flag to employers. Is that the case anymore? Like how long should we be sticking it out in different jobs? What's the goal there? Yeah, I think there is I hate the word should in our careers in general. Um, I usually think that not often do we ever think about what do I want in my career, 
right? Mm -hmm. And so instead of giving yourself a hard and fast timeline, like I need to stay here for two years, I actually don't think that's wise because what that does is it presents us with having very hard and fast rules as to what our career needs to look like based off of what society tells us. Instead, well, how we need to be looking at our careers is like, where has God placed me? Where is God moving me? And where do I want my future to look like? Asking yourself what you want first is actually imperative to figuring out how successful you'll be in your career. So when I was, you know, going into college and then after college, I was thinking to myself, oh, um, uh, to be successful in my career, that means I have to make X amount of money and I have to be in finance for these two amount of years. Then I go in to go get my MBA and then I come back and then I do all these things that society tells me I need to do without actually asking me, do I like this? Am I good at it? Is it something I want to do long-term? Because you spend 90,000 hours at work in your lifetime. And so if you're not enjoying it the majority of the time, that can be very frustrating. So with regards to your question, I don't even know if there is a specific timeline. I understand the flakiness issue. I feel like less and less that's becoming an issue, honestly. Okay. Okay. Okay, Yes. That makes total sense. One thing that you said about having, about starting asking yourself what you want that I think is really important is I think that that also guides us towards sticking it out sometimes because if we are in a career and we see like really truly I want to be at this level in this company and I do need to stick it out I mean this is sort of the classic cliche example but in the mailroom you know for two years or something leading up to that that's that's a different story it's I do want to be at this level so I need to stick it out for Mm -hmm. this long to get there and and so I really like that that it's not a should I should stay Mm -hmm. here it's I'm this is this is me paying my dues I for a like a, a, a greater purpose. Yeah, a greater purpose, a deadline yeah. that I can actually see coming. So I love that. I think also too, if you look at your career and see the trajectory it's going on and see the person above you and say, do I want that person's job? If the answer is a hard and fast, absolutely not. That's also a good sign that, hey, maybe it's time to find somewhere else to go. I've seen that with a lot of of friends of mine. You know, they're seeing Mm -hmm. their their superiors and they're, you know, 20 years ahead of them, but they're like, I do not like what their life looks like. They never see Mm -hmm. their families. They never see their kids or, you know, this is really stressful. Or I do see what this person's life looks like and I want that. So I'm going to keep walking in this direction. So that's a really, that's, Mm -hmm. that's really good. That's a really good tip. So a lot of us have a decent idea of what we don't want to do, but I think one of the Mm -hmm. hardest things about a job search and a career is trying to figure out what we do want to do. So many of us are, you know, going through it's, it's in college, it's after college We're we're sitting here going, I do not know what I want to be when I grow up and I kind of feel like I'm a grown up and I need to figure it out at some point. How do we figure out what job or career might actually be a good fit for us? Yeah. I think part of it is just taking the pressure off that everything that you choose is like forever. So a lot of people will come to me and they'll say, Hey, I'm interested in doing this, but I'm scared to do it because I've never done it before. And I feel like if I get into it, I'll never be able to get out of it. The thing about the fluidity of what what the economy looks like today is think about it. 15 years ago, Facebook didn't even exist, right? So so there are so many jobs out there now that didn't exist when you were in college or when your parents were in college. And so the economy is ever evolving. So don't freak out if if you're like, hey, I want to get into this, but I'm fearful that it's going to 10 years down the road, I'm not going to want to do it. It might change by then. It probably will change by them. So that's okay. You're you're on the right track. Um, the other thing is, is when you're figuring out what you do want to do, I usually say that there's like four main steps that I would take to figuring out, hey, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? So first things first is evaluate where you are in your current job or where you've, you know, you've had different jobs in the past and say, okay, what did I really love about this job? And what did I really hate about this job? So it could be anything from, you know, you could be your boss. It could be the actual physical work that you're doing. It could be just the environment that you're in. There could be a lot of pros and cons and just look at that and say, okay, what do I really love doing? And what do I really not like doing? And how can I move closer in the direction of doing the things that I want to do? So once you get to that idea of like evaluating where you're at, then I want you to do a little bit of exploration. So it's actually getting onto different career sites. So I usually tell folks to pick out like five different companies that you find really interesting. Usually people will say Facebook, Google, Amazon. Um, they might pick another company that's kind of something different or and just see like what are opportunities available in this organization that I even find interesting in the first place. So it's again, getting to the like, what sounds cool to me before you even start thinking like, hey, could I even do this job? Because what a lot of people do is they'll, they'll look at a job description and say, oh, I'm unqualified. I'm not even going to look at it. And that's really like the wrong way to go about go about it. What you need to be doing is saying, is this interesting to me? Worry about like, am I qualified a little bit later? Start figuring out and, 
and gathering that information. And then the third stage is actually having conversations with people. So first stage is evaluation. Second stage is exploration. And the third stage is having conversations. So I know we're going to probably get to like, how do you network well? And then in a non-awkward way, but networking with people and having conversations with people about what they do in their career, what their day-to-day life is like, and getting a good understanding of what that career is like, not like what the movie says it's the movies say it's like, um, because as we know that they often are, are very different, um, the day-to-day life versus the, this looks amazing. You should totally have it. Totally have this job because it looks really cool on TV. Yes. And so having those conversations and starting to deduce and whittle down, what are some what are some lines of work that look interesting to me and not be so focused on, hey, what's this exact job title that I need to have? Because that's put a lot, puts a lot of pressure on you that you don't need to be doing. I love that. And I love the idea of picking out, I, you know, I never thought to do this, picking mm-hmm. out a company that's like best case, coolest case scenario. Yeah. And thinking about like setting our sights or I mean, I don't know, just allowing ourselves to dream a little bit, I think is great because we don't even really very often allow ourselves to fully explore the, any, any possibilities. We just sort of pick what might be next. Um, and I really like the idea of taking some time to, to pick a target, even if it's kind of a ways off and then you can figure out how to backtrack and get there. But, but having an idea generally, generally remove the narrative that like, we're supposed to hate our jobs because we're adults. Like that's, that's a lie. <laughs> that is not true. There might be hard parts to your job, but they, you are not supposed to be designed to be trudging through 90,000 hours for the rest of your life. Um, and hate going to work every day. I don't think that we were actually designed to do that, to be honest. Oh, I love that. I love that. I, I completely agree. And I think the idea that we can shift is really important too. I think mm-hmm. every time we take a step forward in our careers, we meet people and we learn skills and we have opportunities we never would have had until we took that opportunity. And I feel like every every step is an important step in our story. It teaches us different things. It's Every step is important. And I think mm-hmm. we think that we have to have each or the next step be the final step, but that's just not the case. Every step mm-hmm. is a part of the path and, and it opens up whole new paths that we never would have found if we hadn't been moving in some direction. So the idea that you can take a step forward and if it's the wrong, you know, if it, if it isn't the final step you're going to take, which it's not going to be, we're always moving and growing and changing. You can take a hard left turn if you need to, and there will Mm -hmm. be different lefts available to you when you get to that next spot. And everyone's a rookie, right? Like if you're a new in your career, you're a rookie. If you switch jobs or you got a promotion in your job, you're still a rookie. There are people that are senior levels. A CEO of a new company is a rookie. And so whenever you think about that, you're always learning new skills in your career. So everyone's starting at zero when you have to learn something new. So giving yourself some grace to be like, I don't have to have it all together is totally normal. I love that. I love that. So before we even start to look for a job, um, we Mm -hmm. have to do some prep work, right? How do we, how do we even go about making ourselves like, what can we do today before we start applying for jobs to Mm -hmm. make ourselves irresistible to recruiters and hiring managers? How do we become the person when someone gets our resume that they say we have to have her? Yeah. So I think first is getting clarity on where you're going in the first place, right? So understanding what are the positions that I'm interested in going after? What are the what are the things that those jobs really need? So what a lot of people do is we'll approach a job description and we'll read it over and we'll go straight down to the bottom and say, what are the requirements here? Am I qualified? Okay, I need to move on, right? When instead what we really need to be doing is when we have these job descriptions, we need to say, okay, what is the value that I can bring to the table here? And that's how you become an irresistible recruiter. It's almost like treating yourself like you're a business and you are, the as a candidate, you're actually selling yourself as the service. So an employer cares, wants to hire you for a couple of different reasons. You're either gonna make them more money you're going to save the money or you're going to make someone's life easier. It's one of those three things. And if you can start thinking in the mindset of how can I do one of those three things for the employer, it starts to get your momentum moving in the right direction. And so when you're looking at a job description, I always tell people, read the top portion a bunch of times, like read it 25 times and ask yourself the question, why are they even hiring for this position? What's the purpose of this role? What's the return on investment they're expecting to receive from somebody like me if they were to hire me? When you start getting in that like frame of brain, it starts to make sense like, oh, they're hiring me because they need someone to do their marketing efforts so that they're able to reach XYZ goals. It's not just so I can do a bunch of tasks and like come in every day and do them and leave. It's actually that I'm a bigger part of the equation. And when we start seeing ourselves as a bigger part of the equation, we start to see the value that we can uniquely bring to the table. And that's how you start prepping your 
ourselves. So it's first, it's the mindset. And then second, it's starting to get your resume and resume materials and LinkedIn materials kind of in the same realm, making sure that it's showcasing what is the value that I can bring to the table. So I want to ask you about all about resumes. Um, yeah. But before that, like, what about learning new skills or, um, Mm. what can we do to be growing as people? And in our, if there are people sitting here listening, thinking, I don't know what I have to bring to the table, or I don't feel like I have enough to bring to the table. How can you gather more to bring to the table so that, Mm. so that you do have more to offer? Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's, it's, let's say you're transitioning, you're being a big pivot. So I moved from finance to sales and there was like literally no way that I, <laughs> that I, that I could have mustered up that, that experience out of nowhere because I didn't have it. So what I was able to do was in order to like develop myself, I did a ton of research on the industry that I was trying to get myself into. Right. That was the first thing. The second thing was I started listening to different YouTube videos. I just did research. Like how do you become a great salesperson <laughs> or, um, was taking a bunch of, um, free online courses that you can do just to get yourself in the right vocabulary, the right frame of mind, um, and start being able to articulate yourself in such a way that's going to be compelling to the employer that you're going to eventually be speaking to. So yeah, I definitely think that there's different classes out there. There's a resource called Udemy that um, has some amazing stuff. Um, LinkedIn actually has, if you have LinkedIn premium, they have all these LinkedIn courses on there that teach you all these different skill sets that is going to equip you to become more prepared um, as you enter into an interview situation or a networking situation. That's amazing. I I think I I'm at the beginning when you said, you know, all the things that our colleges didn't teach us. I'm sitting here going, yeah. why didn't our colleges teach us that? Like I know for I know. I was it's a, such a shame. <laughs> yeah. I was a journalism major and we never I was never in a class where I had to learn how to properly use Excel. And my husband is baffled by the fact that I don't know how to use Excel. And so when I was applying for jobs, I, I'm a total self-starter. I'm I am the kind of person that takes initiative in mm-hmm. really most situations, except for the fact that if on the bottom of of, you know, the requirements of a job. If it said you must be, you know, excellent in Excel, I'd be like, well, I'm not qualified for this. It never occurred to me to find an online course and to learn stinking Excel. That is, I I feel like we just don't (laughs) take that extra step, but it's so easy to just... Yeah. And I usually say too, so this is actually a big problem that I see between men and women is that women will see that and say, I'm not applying. Where men will say like, ah, fudge my way through it. I'll figure it out you know? And so what women, as women, what we need to be doing is we need to be looking that objectively and say, do I have about 80 to 90% of the skill sets on here? Okay. What are the things that I'm lacking and how can I work around that? Instead of thinking I'm unqualified, I'm not going to apply. They're going to reject me, which is what most of us do. Yes. Um, Men and women, but much heavily, uh, much more on the women. And, And so if you're able to actually look at that and say, okay, how could I actually learn Excel? Or how could I convince them that I can, I'm a fast learner and can learn it or that it's not as relevant as they think that it is. Like that sounds really audacious to think about, but when I was going into switching from finance to sales, I, you know, they wanted me to have B2B sales experience and here's what, and then I went in and kind of told them why I believe that I was still the right person for the job without that experience and how it was actually more valuable to them with the experience that I did have. That's so So it's just, it's, it's repositioning yourself and really understanding that you are a quality candidate. Even if you feel like you've gotten rejected before, it's kind of like dating, right? It's even if you feel like you've gotten rejected before, I still know that I am going to be a great employee and someone's going to be happy to have me. And when you operate out of that, you start to see where you can connect the dots instead of unconnect the dots. Yes. Okay. I love that. So as you're talking about positioning, I know that that's a really, I I know that that's the key to a good resume, isn't it? You know, Mm -hmm. tailoring our resume to the specific job. What are some resume mistakes you see women making? What are some things we can do to make our resumes better? How do we position it for a specific job? Mm -hmm. Talk, talk to us about resumes. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing with resumes is that people spend way too much time on them. That might sound like ridiculous. Like, well, Jenna, it gets me the job. No, it actually doesn't. The resume might get you in the door, but your interviewing skills is really what you need to be focusing on and networking is what you need to be focusing on. So yes, we need to make sure we have a resume, but the number one mistake I say is people are just tweaking the resume all the time and not doing any networking because that's really how people find jobs. Okay. But with regards to the actual resume itself, there's a couple of things that I, just a couple of tweaks that I recommend for people is make sure that it has a clear format. It is very clean. There is a um, there is a template builder that I love who's on Etsy. She, her templates are really, really reasonably priced, about $15. And it's called Get Landed. And her resume templates are amazing. So Ooh, I would I use hers. I use them for all of my clients. She's awesome. So it's, it looks designed. It looks appealing. And then it also goes through the applicant tracking systems. 
and it helps give you a structure that's pretty um, focused. So that's the first thing. Love that. And y'all, sure to- if you, all these recommendations that Jenna's been giving, we're going to have them in our show notes. So if you didn't get all these names, know that you'll be able to find those in the show notes. So Italian fast talker. Don't, don't panic. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the second part is um, just, so first is template. And then the second is making sure that you're showcasing your key accomplishments. So what a lot of people will do is just say, they these are all the tasks that I've done without attaching the results to them. So anytime oh. you can quantify something or, or showcase some sort of result, um, that's oftentimes the best way to make sure that your resume is being used to the best of its capabilities, right? And then the third thing that I would say is making sure that you are using it in networking conversations. So so it needs to showcase what your key accomplishments are, but then you are actually distributing it out and not just on applicant tracking systems that you're actually connecting with people and telling your story alongside with your resume. Because honestly, uh, I think there's a statistic out there that says only a, res- or a recruiter only reads a resume for six seconds. So wow. it matters but it doesn't matter as much as we think that it does. What really matters is how we're positioning ourselves verbally. Okay. Well, so when it comes to resumes, I love that. Make it well-designed, clean, Mm -hmm. highlight your key accomplishments. I think Mm -hmm. going back to what you were talking about earlier, I think we forget to put ourselves in the position of the business and just Mm -hmm. what's in it for them. This Them hiring you is totally a selfish decision. They want to get ahead with your help. And so how can you help them do that? I think we just, we, this is why I want the job, or this is why I'm good for the job. Mm -hmm. We're focusing on us and really they care about their business. That's what it's about. So I think the more we can align ourselves with their goals, I'm going to help you get to where you want to be. um, It's just, it's just a step we don't take. And so I love that. And managers love that as well. They love when you come in and say, hey, this is what, based off of my experience, this is what you need. Or, hey, based off of my experience, I believe I could help you accomplish X, Y, Z. They're like, thank you. Somebody finally gets it. Yes. Well, the thing I think we forget or that we don't know is that it really stinks having to hire people. When when you're at a point of needing to hire someone, whether you're a small business or whether you're a big business, that means that someone either left or, Mm -hmm. and which leaves you with this whole pile of work on your desk that no Nobody has time for, or mm-hmm. it means that a pile of work has piled up on your desk that you don't have anyone to help you with. And so hiring nobody, nobody who's actually hiring or doing, doing the hiring wants it to take forever. They're just looking for someone to come in to help get that pile off of their desk. And so the more we can say, Hey, I see that pile. And actually I know how to organize it. I feel like it's an answer to prayer for them. And, and, Mm -hmm. and we're in. Yes, we're in. (laughs) Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Friends, springtime is finally here, but that also means allergy season is in full swing. I have always struggled with allergies and I don't know about you, but I am especially allergic to cats. More on that in a second. Well, luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. The time that I use Claritin the absolute most is when I'm at my parents' house, my childhood home. They have this absolutely beautiful cat that they love and I like, except for the fact that he sheds so much. So that means that I'm basically sneezing from the second I arrive home to the second I leave, unless I take Claritin. My dad has even started having it ready for me right when I walk in the door. Are you ready to live life as though you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and Powerful Relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use this directed. Claritin, thank you so much for sponsoring our girls' night. We love having you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. As many of you know, I recently wrote a book, and while it was the most rewarding project of my career so far, it also came with a lot of hard work and long nights. 
And sometimes when things started to feel a little bit overwhelming, I needed to get a few things off my chest so I could clear my mind and keep the writing process flowing. And the thing that helped me so much to sort through those feelings was therapy. Now tell me if any of this sounds familiar. Maybe you're going through something really hard right now, a big loss or a gigantic life transition. Maybe you frequently feel anxious, depressed, overwhelmed, or just generally discouraged. Maybe you really, really, really want your life circumstances to change, but you don't know how to actually change them. Or maybe you're feeling stuck as you try to work through your past, navigate your present, or figure out your future. Friend, if you can relate to any of this, you're not alone. I've been there, and therapy has been the thing that has helped me more than anything else with all of this. In the last 10 years or so, I've learned that strength isn't proving I can do it on my own. It's knowing that I don't have to. I'm at my strongest when I have a full support system around me, and an essential part of my support system is therapy. Therapy can be absolutely life-changing. That is, if you can afford it and find a therapist you like and trust. But of course, this is easier said than done. And that's why I'm so excited to be partnering with this week's podcast sponsor. Our sponsor for today's episode is BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the easiest and most affordable way I've ever found to find a great therapist. It's entirely online and super easy to sign up. You can get started right away. And if you don't love the counselor you're paired with, switching is easy and it's free. If you're going through something hard in your relationships, or if you're in a funk you just can't shake, if you've been feeling anxious or depressed lately, or if you're feeling stressed and you need help balancing your everyday life and schedule, BetterHelp is an incredible resource for you. And I'm so thankful that they've given me a promo code that I can share with you to make it even easier to get started. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash friendship today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash friendship. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. You mentioned networking, and I know that you said networking is like the name of the game. And if anyone listening is like me, the word networking just gives them a pit in their stomach. It's like brings images of small talk and awkwardness and trying <laughs> to eat, yeah, and trying to eat like a small bite while having a conversation <laughs> and not not having a business card or whatever. So, how do we network effectively and without feeling so weird about it? Yes, because it is very easy to feel weird in the process. So for the record, I'm an extrovert and I hate happy hours. I don't think that networking means we have to go to a happy hour. What I think networking is at its very core and at its very root, which works for introverts and extroverts, because I get a lot of introverts who will say, I can't network. And I'm like, oh yes, you can. (laughs) You can talk to people one-on-one. You can do it. Um, And what I tell them is networking, just very simply put, is mutually beneficial professional relationships developed over time. That's all that it is. So it's conversations that you build up over time, getting to know people, understanding what they care about, and being able to offer something in return. And so when we think about networking, I I usually say there's four levels to networking. So the first and foremost is actually your friends and family. We forget that our friends and family are a part of our professional network. So when I was looking to transition jobs, but I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do, I had hit the evaluation stage, I was in exploration phase, and I needed to start the conversation phase. I reached out to a bunch of my friends out on email and said, hey, I know you guys aren't in the startup world and you're not in sales, but do you know of anybody that is? Turns out one of my friends, his dad was like a VP at a big company and in sales. And he hopped on the phone with me and gave me a little bit of a rundown of what it was like to actually work in sales. And so that conversation, he said, I'm happy to pass your resume along to somebody else. So one that keeps you motivated, which is the biggest problem with job searching, right? And it starts to make the process actually fun. You're like, oh, this sounds like a really cool job. Or, oh, that was really interesting to talk to that person. So the first level is friends and family. Which I think everyone totally overlooks. You're right. Everyone knows someone who does something. And so that's amazing. Yes. We're all connected. That's how we got connected. Do you know what I mean? So it's a friend of a friend. Yes. Um, 
And then, so that's the first, that's the crux of it. And the second is actually your current and past colleagues. So depending on your work environment, maybe current doesn't make a lot of sense to say, hey, I'm looking for another position that might not work for you. Um, it actually worked for me when I was transitioning out of the New York Stock Exchange. I had told a couple of people that I trusted and I also knew we're going to be transitioning out. And my boss actually let me take interviews from his office. It was amazing. Um, oh. I know that's not everybody else's experience, but... I am. Um, what you should also do is always keep in touch with people that you used to work with as well. So I have kind of a role, running Rolodex of people that I've worked with, that I've enjoyed working with, and I keep in contact with them probably on a quarterly basis. So actually just the other day, I reached out to my old boss at the Muse and I said, hey, just want to catch up. I hope you're doing well. I saw that it was your birthday. How's the family? Would love to chat if you have some time over the next couple of weeks. I don't really necessarily have an agenda for that meeting. It's just, I really want to keep in touch with him and make sure that he knows that I'm available to him if he needs me. And if I I need him, he would, he would probably say the same thing back to me. So Love it's that. reaching out to those past call coworkers. And then the third stage is actually your um, college alumni. So a lot of people think, okay, I went to college, I left college. Now I, re- now I really just don't pay attention to college anymore. Yes. Well, actually your career services center often has different alumni programs, whether it's alumni groups that you can reach out to. Um, you could even reach out to your career center and say, Hey, I'm listening. I'm interested in getting into this field. Do we have any alumni that would be willing to talk to me? I've done that before and it's worked. You can also actually go into LinkedIn and go to your um, your company's, uh, sorry, your college's page and see different alumni. You can actually search for different alumni at different companies if you're interested in a specific company. So reaching out to your alumni network is really huge. You paid a lot of money to go to college. You're probably still paying off school debt. Yes. You should still utilize your college. <laughs> that's amazing. Okay, that's a really, really good tip. I feel like everyone's like, I didn't think of any of these things. <laughs> yeah, that's that's okay. And we, we're not taught that, right? It's a skill set. So people are like, you're expected to know how to do this, but no one's going to ever teach you. So good luck. Yes. And we need to learn because it is, it's a skill set. It doesn't mean that you're a bad candidate. It doesn't mean you're not a good employee. It doesn't mean that you won't be successful in your career. It's just another skill set that we need to learn. Yes. So did you say that there was four? Are we missing one? Yes, we're missing one. So the last one is cold outreach. So this is the scariest for most people. It's reaching out to people. Let's say you're interested in working, I'm going to use the Google example. So you're interested in working for Google and you're, you know what department you want to work in, but you know absolutely no one personally that works there. So what I would recommend doing is going on to LinkedIn, which I love, by the way. I am a huge fan of LinkedIn, which I know most people are not. And going on to LinkedIn and, and typing in Google, searching for Google, going under there with employees and starting, starting to filter out for people in the department. Reach out to somebody on LinkedIn and say, hey, I know this is super random, but I noticed that you work in a department that I potentially would be interested in working for. Do you have 10 to 15 minutes of your time? I'd love to hop on the phone and just learn a little bit more about the culture. No pressure if not. Thanks for chatting. Jenna. And so all that it is, is a quick, short message explains exactly what you're looking for. Doesn't ask for a job and doesn't ask them to look at your resume that opens up the conversation to have more, more conversations potentially. And oftentimes what happens on those calls, if you are able to sell yourself well, right. And explain a little bit about what you do after they ask you, they probably will say, well, Hey, let me, let me take your resume. I I might be interested in, in putting it through our system and seeing if there is a good role for you here. That is so, so, I love that because it's so low pressure. And I love that you said 10 to 15 minutes because even mm -hmm. a really busy person, and I think we have to go in saying, no, actually I'm going to only take 10 to 15 minutes Yes, because I think that that gets over the barrier of I'm a really busy person and I just, I don't have an hour to sit down with you or, you know, two hours to go to coffee or something like that. It's a really small ask. And I also love it because I think it's when we send our resume to someone or when we say, Hey, can you get me a job? to a stranger, it's sort of like proposing to a stranger instead of saying, Hey, do you want to go on a first date? And a first date is much smaller, um, much smaller ask, or do you want to get a bite to eat? Or I mean, get a cup of coffee, (laughs) something really small, um, take a small step in and it can lead to more. I love that. Yeah. I've, I've met a ton of people that way. It's how I've grown my network. When I moved to Nashville, I started doing that. I met a boyfriend through that, doing that. Like a lot of random things can happen. You just never know guys. (laughs) That's amazing. And I think it's cool too. Something that I've been thinking about more and more, I was thinking about it a lot at the end of last year was you never know if you don't ask. And so I wonder what would happen if we sent that email to a hundred different people, which I know hundreds a lot, but it's, I mean, it's, the same email over and over again. Yeah, it's the same email. You have no idea who's going to reach back out. It could be someone, I mean, you could reach out to someone who's a total reach and they could write back and it could turn into something amazing. You just have no idea. I love that. I've done, yeah, I've done that for a, if you're, are you familiar with the show Dirty Jobs? 
Yes. Do you know that show? Okay. Yeah. So my dream is to have a TV show one day. I <laughs> Talk love about big that. career goals. And I would love it to be like dirty jobs, but dream jobs. And so I reached out to the producer of Dirty Jobs and just wanted to connect with him. And he connected with me on, on LinkedIn. And now he sees all of my social media that I produce on LinkedIn. So I'm nurturing him until the day comes when I'll be like, hey, I have an idea for a show. Do you want to chat? <laughs> Jenna. Oh my gosh. Everyone write that down. That is genius. And also we will be your biggest fans when you have your own show. Please, please be my viewers. I'll tell them that I have the Girls Night podcast all listening. Yes. Yes. We'll be there. We'll have t-shirts. So, okay. You've mentioned LinkedIn before and inwardly I'm groaning because I have LinkedIn. It's totally not updated. And I never, I don't know if I was ever I don't know if I ever had to use it long enough that it was ever useful to me. Do you know what I mean? Um, So I I never really figured out the world of LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Can you give us your LinkedIn pitch? Because I'm betting that most (laughs) of the women listening do not have an active page. Tell us why we need to be on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is the most judgment-free social media site out there. I love going on LinkedIn. I feel great about myself on LinkedIn because people aren't showing pictures of, you know, their their marriage or their babies or what new cool travel place they're going to. They're just producing awesome content that is relevant to your professional development. So that's the first reason is if you could adopt any social media site that won't make you feel bad about yourself, that would be one. Hey, <laughs> um, win number one. That's amazing. Yeah. And number two is you never know who is going to be searching for someone like you. So if you having a full profile really helps you, the way that LinkedIn works, it's kind of like a search engine for recruiters. So they'll go into LinkedIn and they'll search for people that have specific characteristics. They might search for titles. um, They might search for qualities, specialties, um, qualifications, particular things that are relevant to the position that they're hiring for. And so if you do not have a full LinkedIn profile, they will not be able to find you. And so that's, that is the main reason is you can actually get passive people reaching out to you if you have a full profile that is relevant to whatever you're looking for in the future. So that would be the second reason to get on LinkedIn. And the third is just to connect with other people. I think it's a really, I've met amazing people on LinkedIn. Um, a lot of people wouldn't think that, but I've met some really amazing people on LinkedIn that's really helped me in my business, um, in my career long-term. Okay. Well, that's amazing. So when it comes, I know that LinkedIn, part of it has a resume like a resume component to it. Yeah. Is there anything we should know about making our LinkedIn profile? Like any yeah. best practices well, I, or... I say, make sure that you have a picture. So that's the first thing is make sure you have a photo of yourself where you're smiling and make sure it's not cropped out with some uh, somebody else's hand like on your shoulder. Oh, shoulder yeah. <laughs> like like a, from a party, please don't do that. Yeah. Um, so it just, if you don't have one, a professional shot done, totally fine. Get in front of like a white wall with some nice natural light in front of you and have somebody take a picture with their iPhone. That's all you really need. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing was to make sure that you have whatever you have in your resume, at the very least, put that on your LinkedIn. So there's some schools of thought that people say, oh, it should be different. I say, forget it. Why not make it exactly the same? Because they're going to be searching in the same way. So if you do nothing else and you don't want to do a lot of time on it, just put whatever's on your resume on your LinkedIn profile. And the last thing is connect with three people on LinkedIn. So the more people that you're connected with, the more opportunities that you will have to show up in a search engine. Okay. Okay. Well, LinkedIn, guys, let's get on it. LinkedIn all the way. LinkedIn. Love that. And then find Jenna and you guys can connect. So good. Please, please connect with me. And if you connect with me, I'll actually give you one pointer of what you can do to improve on your LinkedIn profile. Hey, that is key. And guys, we'll have all of Jenna's info, including her LinkedIn on our show notes. So you can find it there. So let's talk interviews. I know that you said the interview is the most important thing, that it's more important than your resume. So how, (laughs) how do we knock an interview out of the park? What can we do to prepare? What do we do when we're in there? How do we get over our nerves? Yeah. The nerves is the biggest thing. I actually just wrote a a little podcast ditty for, for another company about confidence before you head into an interview. And it's all about getting your mindset, right? Um, it's all about thinking through like, what's the worst that can happen? I don't get the job. Okay, moving on, get another one, you know? And so I think it's getting, first is getting the mindset, right? The second thing is really understanding what is, again, that main idea of the job description. What are they looking for that you can best determine from that job description? Because sometimes they are a little bit different, but what, what are they really looking for? And then how can you craft an elevator pitch that's going to be very clear and concise about the value that you bring? So the simple, the best question that I can help answer that is the question they always ask is, Hey, tell me about yourself. It's like the dreaded question that everybody hates. So if you can get that question right, then you're going to feel comfortable for probably the rest of the interview. So a way to answer that correctly, real quick tip is first to say who you are, like where you currently are at in your career, how you got there, 
and then what you're looking forward into the future. So three prong statements. If it's good enough for preachers, teachers, and Oprah, it's good enough for us. <laughs> so, okay, so that's currently... it for an elevator set? That's Yeah. Okay. That's it. And now everyone feels better. When you yeah, say, when we Don't say, complicate it. <laughs> yes. When we say elevator pitch, like I'm instantly thinking, okay, how do I say, it's the same with cover letters. How mm-hmm. do I say everything important and good about me that I can possibly think of in the time it takes to take an elevator ride? That's, that's really helpful. Yeah. So where you are now, how mm-hmm. you got there and where you're hoping to go. So you're saying currently I'm a second grade teacher. I've been a second grade teacher for Three years X now. Years. Yes. Yep. And and this is where I found that I'm most useful to my children. And this is why I've I've been really successful. But what really what I'm most excited about for the future is working with the opportunity to learn more about this experience. See if I could be able to provide value for you and your team. Done. And now we'll just fit our own little things in there. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. That's <laughs> that's so helpful. So so we need to remember that the stakes really aren't that high. If we don't get this job, there are other jobs out there. We'll get another one. So it's not life or death, even though it definitely feels like life or death when when we're going in there, have our elevator pitch ready. And I think we should practice that in the mirror beforehand, right? Yes. I always say to people, make sure that you're practicing. Don't fully script something out because if you forget a phrase, you're going to be like crap in the interview. You're like, oh no, (laughs) I totally forgot what I was supposed to say. was on my Line. (laughs) Yeah. Line please. Um, No. So, and I think also was remembering that, hey, you're interviewing them as much as they are interviewing you. Like you have the opportunity to figure out, do I even want to work here? Does this boss like somebody I want to work underneath? Is this going to project my career forward? You can ask all of those questions to yourself and ask corresponding questions to them to figure out the answers to that. So when you make it a mutual selection process, it also takes the pressure off of being like, I don't have to work here if I don't want to. They would be lucky to have me. Mm, That's really good. That's really good. What about um, what, the question that I think we all think is coming to us um, in, well, I guess my question more is, are there some typical questions we could prepare for or should prepare for? Mm-hmm. And the what I'm thinking of that's funny is, what's your greatest weakness? Which oh, I don't yeah. know if anyone actually asks that, but then right, right then is when you say, I work too hard or I care too much. Yes. <laughs> you like spin it to be a good thing. Yeah. So that's the number one question that people, so I do interview prep with clients one-on-one and I always say, well, what's the questions that you're really nervous about? And that is the first one I just said. So tell me about yourself. And then what is your biggest strength and weakness? That's the next question they always say. Oh, that's so funny. So how to answer the question of, Hey, what's, what's your biggest weakness? I always say, get a real weakness, but share a little bit about how you're working to overcome it. So I actually went into an interview one time and I got that question. It was very similar. It was like, what do you regret? And I kind of made up some answer that was very positive. And, and my, the, the manager turned to me and goes, that's not a real answer. Give me a real answer. So you don't want that to happen. That's hilarious. <laughs> I just kind of looked at him deer in headlights. Thankfully, I still got the job, but I was like, oh man, uh, what am I going to say here? And so I would always say like, for instance, one of my weaknesses is I'm a procrastinator. And so that can look really bad, but I explain exactly how I'm working to improve upon it. That would not be an issue because the real reason why they're asking that question is self-awareness. They want to know, are you self-aware? Do you know what your faults are? And if you're just saying, I care too much and not telling me why that's a really bad thing, because it could be, um, it could keep you from doing certain things, then you're not really self-aware. You're just telling me what I need to hear. And that does not fly. Yeah. And that's not what I'm looking for. Right. Yes. Okay. Are there any other questions that we should prepare for? Think through ahead of time? Yeah. You should always think through what it, when they ask at the very end of an interview, Hey, what questions do you have for me? When people sit there with deer in headlights, that is the wrong way to end an interview. You want to always make sure that you have at least three questions for the person on the receiving end that you have about the company, about the future of the company or the culture. So one of those three things will help you look intelligent, right? You want to make sure that they, they know that you did your research and you want to make sure that you're, they know that you're interested and they want to make sure that, that they know, um, that you are a leader in the space. And so if you're able to communicate all those things with the questions at the end, that's, that's, that's a winning move. So that would be something else I want to make sure that you get, get prepared for. I love that. As you're talking, I'm thinking of some of my like past interview moments. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking of one specific one where I promise you they were trying to knock me off my game and they were doing a really good job at it. I think, um, I don't know if they were sort of having fun with me or bored or what, but I mean, they asked me questions that I, I was like, is that a real thing? I, I can't. And I had to come up with something on the spot and actually <laughs> like truly, I think I, I actually nailed it. Um, I ended up getting the job, which was awesome, but it, I'm sitting there going, that's not even a real thing. Or that's, 
That is a crazy question. They don't ask, you know, people who are applying for an introductory job, this question, this is nuts, but (laughs) I had to just sort of make up something off the top of my head and it actually worked, which was funny. And I'm thinking of another time, um, I was applying for a job with a, a TV show and I, I was overseas when I did the interview. And so I was a little bit out of, a little bit off my game, mm-hmm. but I remember the guy asking me if I had watched the show and I had oh. not watched the show, which <laughs> yes, is do your research. <laughs> terrible, which is terrible. I still did get the job, but I don't know if I ever, I would never do that again. So if you're applying for something, try the product, watch yeah. the show. Yeah. And the other question, I just thought of this just right now, um, that often people get tripped on, tripped up on are two questions are what's your salary requirements, which is like the most cringy thing possible. Yes. Um, and then the other one is why did you leave your current position? So if let's say you're in between jobs and you don't have a scripting for that, those are two questions that you want to make sure that you're prepared for as well. Is there any way, is there any wrong way to answer that question about why did you leave your current position or your, your most recent position? Yeah. So I would say that the wrong way to answer would be to talk bad about anybody on your team. And you would be surprised at how easy that is. So you say, oh no, I would never do that. But actually it comes out because you probably have still emotional baggage from that bad experience, whether you got fired or you left or whatever that looks like, just make sure you don't bring that into the conversation. A really great way to answer the question, hey, why did you leave your your most past position? I would say, yeah, it was an amazing, it was a good experience. I learned a lot. So even if you had a terrible experience, you could say I learned a lot and that would be true. (laughs) I learned a lot from that experience. And unfortunately, there was a rift between um, myself and one of the managers. But um, what I really what I'm looking forward to is getting to speak with you today and learn a little bit more about this position and just always directing it back as best as possible while still answering their question. And if they dig deeper, answer truthfully, but within reason, of course. Okay. Okay. I like that. So you said salary and everyone mm-hmm. is feeling cringy. And that was actually going to be my next question is if this goes well, if we're sitting there, this interview goes well, then at some point they're going to ask us about our salary requirements. Mm -hmm. How do we have this conversation? How do we know how much we should be making? And then if someone offers us less than we're hoping for or less than we think we should be making, how do we ask for more? Yikes. You should always ask for more now. <laughs> okay, <laughs> talk us this. You should. Yes. I really think you do. So I think a, a lot of people don't negotiate. And then again, another thing between men and women is women don't negotiate, men do. Uh, and so we need to get more women negotiating because it's important. So a couple of ways of how to figure out how to answer that question in the first place. How do I figure out what am I even worth in the first place? So I would go to a couple of websites. So Payscale is an example of one of those. Um, and Glassdoor is an example. And then if you have LinkedIn Premium, that's also an example of a place where you can figure out what are comparables to what I'm searching for. So what you could do is search in, maybe it's a specific, maybe it's a marketing manager title. Well, let's just use that as an example. I would take that marketing manager title and I would pump it into Payscale, I would pump it into um, Glassdoor, and I would pump it into LinkedIn and see for my region, for my specific area, what the average salary would look like. So they'll be able to provide you with that resources um, on on those different pages and figure that out first. So you know, going into a conversation, what is the average? And when someone asks you that question, you can say intelligently, based off the research that I've done and the value that I can bring to the table, I believe that a salary range from this to this would be reasonable, but I'm flexible. Done. Okay. That's really helpful. So what if they say less? Like, so how do you negotiate from there? What happens? Yeah. So if they, if they end up giving you an offer, right. And they might say to you, Oh, that's way above my range. And then you would say back to them, okay, well, what is the budget for this position? Because there is a budget for the position, right? So you ask them what the budget is for the position. And if it's like way low and it's like maybe 30,000, 40,000 below, and you're like, there's no way they're going to budge, then it might be, it might not be the right opportunity for you. If they're like a little bit off and they give you an offer, let's say you're at the end of the rope, you've gone through all the interviews, you're super excited, they give you an offer and it's like 10 grand less than you wanted. I would again, come to the table, very similar way. I would say based off the research that I'd done in this area, I was expecting the average to be between this and this. Is there any way we can move more in my direction? If so, I would love to take this opportunity. I'm really excited about it. So it's showing interest. It's giving flexibility. Um, it's asking if they can move more in your direction, not like, hey, this is what I require. <laughs> right? Yes. It feels softer. Give me this it feels or easier. Goodbye. Yes. Yeah, okay. Give me this or goodbye. Mm-hmm. Okay. That is really helpful. I feel like everyone write that down and actually say those things because we, we heard it. They sound kind. They sound gentle. They sound yes. reasonable. They sound fair. They sound intelligent. 
they sound like we're someone with a backbone all yes. mixed into one. And, and does it normally work? Yeah, it worked for me. I love that. I love <laughs> it works that. for my clients. Um, I had one client, she, um, ended up tripling her salary, which is crazy. I don't know how she did that. That was incredible. Um, that's not, that is not a normal case study, but she was able to do that just because she asked, right? So she was making triple in her next opportunity, what she made in her last opportunity. And so, um, just by asking those simple things, you never, it could be the easiest seven K you ever make in your life. It could be the easiest 10 K you ever make in your life. And there's other things you can negotiate too. It doesn't have to be just salary. It could be maybe time off. It could be flexible work-life flexibility. It could be a lot of different things nowadays, but same similar scripting. So if they say, if they come back and they say, what are a couple of different ways that this could go from there? So they come back and they say, no, then we have to decide if we still want the job anyway. Right. Correct. Correct. There's usually, if if they can't come back and say, Hey, we can't do that. You have to decide at that point, is this opportunity worth it for you? Right. So do you see longevity in the position? Do you see the upward mobility? When would that upper mobility happen? Would it be in the next year? Would you get a pay raise? Okay. Maybe you would consider, you know, wanting to still take the opportunity. That would be one reason. So there's a lot of different options you would have to weigh in that situation. But yeah, at that point, there's no, I would never go back and kind of renegotiate again. They'd be like, excuse me, we just told you no. (laughs) What about, is that a good time to say, okay, I understand. Is there a way that we could, that I could work from home one day a week or, you know, an extra few days of vacation or something like that. Is that the moment to, to add those things in? Or do you just say, yep. Okay, great. Or no. Yeah, I would, you could, you could iterate from there. Right. So I would always ask for like one thing at a time. I would never ask for, so they give you an offer and you say, well, I was expecting you to receive 10 K more than this and uh, to have more work-life balance. I would pick one of those two things, whichever is more important to you. Right. Okay. And then when they come back and say, yay or nay, then you can negotiate the next thing. Okay. Okay. That's so helpful. I feel like everyone's feeling so much better after hearing this. It It doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't have to be scary. It can be empowering actually. It's exciting because what's the worst that they can say? No, I have never heard unless you're incredibly rude to somebody, somebody taking back an offer because you negotiated. I think that's people's biggest fear is like, oh, if I negotiate, they're going to tell me no, and they're not going to want to hire me. Not the case. They're just going to tell you no. And the answer is going to be no. That's and they're still gonna want to hire you. <laughs> yes. Okay. So there's no downside. There's just an upside. And um, I think it's good practice. I think that that's something we all need to learn how to do more is just to know what we're worth and to stand up for yes. what we're worth. And we don't have to do it in a bulldozing, mean no. kind of way. Just standing firm, saying I'm worth this, and I'm and I'm going to ask for this. Confidence is kind, is what I usually tell people. Right. So kindness is different than niceness. So kindness is firm but kind right? It's, it's being pleasant, all those different things. So confidence, in my opinion, is very kind. It's kind to do yourself. It's kind to do other people because you're taking ownership for what you believe that you're worth. I love that. So my last question for you is now that we're in a job that we like, how do we move up in the company? What can we do within our current position to make ourselves a total standout candidate for the next opportunity? So first thing I would try and find an internal mentor. So somebody that's older than you, male or female, I've had men and women mentors in my past that are able to kind of speak life into where, what you're doing in your career and have advice into, you can go to, maybe that's not in your necessary group, especially if there's like some workplace dynamics that are not going super well. I always recommend having somebody who's outside of your company actually to talk to about, Hey, this is going on. How do I handle this situation? Um, and then also have somebody who's a champion for you internally, because they're going to be the people that's going to say, Hey, you need to give this girl a promotion because she's awesome. And then the second thing would be to say yes, when new opportunities arise. So let's say that there's a new project that nobody's taking, take it. Um, let's say I, I can give a perfect example. When I worked at the New York Stock Exchange, one day they said, Hey, do you have any interest in doing a, a webcast downstairs on the floor? Mind you, I'd been there for six months, knew nothing about how the IPO process worked. And they said, Hey, we're just going to throw you in front of a camera and you're just going to talk about what's going on on the floor. And we're going to live stream that back to the company so that they know play by play how their IPO is doing. And I was like, okay, sounds good. It was terrible the first time. It was absolutely (laughs) terrible. But I learned and through that experience, I got more opportunities and then senior leaders knew who I was. And then the head of the group knew who I was. And then I got employee of the month. And all of that happened because I just said yes to new opportunities and allowed myself to be curious. I love that. And you said yes to an opportunity that you weren't 100% sure was going to go well. But it's not going to go well (laughs) if you you never try. It, It got better though. Of course it did. 
Yes, it got better. And it was actually one of my favorite things about working there was the opportunity to report live from the trading floor. I got to interview Jeff Gordon, which was really crazy. I'm much taller than him. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I got to see, yeah, I got to see like the biggest IPO in the history of the world go public, which was awesome. Um, When Candy Crush was a thing back in the day, I got to interview the CEO of that company. Anyways, I got to do a lot of cool things because I said that initial yes to feeling like I was going to fail. But then that failure led to more opportunities. I love that. Anything else? Anything else we should do in this current position to make ourselves a stand up for the next? Yeah, I think the main thing is to not get down when you have a bad day. So we're always going to have bad days in our jobs. And it's emotional. A lot of people think that careers are very transactional. They're incredibly emotional. They they tell us like what our worth is. They make us feel valuable or invaluable. They affect every other area of our life. So I always say to try and be gracious with yourself because if you're gracious with yourself, you're going to be gracious then when you get promoted. And then you have to be gracious to somebody you're managing. Um, or then you're going to have to be gracious to somebody that is managing you as well because they're trying to learn. So I think the biggest thing is to not take a setback in one day to be like, I'm the worst employee in the world, because it's very easy for us to get into that, that type of doomsday mentality. It really is. Jenna, I love this. Do you have any just last bits of encouragement for women who are wanting to succeed in their career and maybe standing on the edge of something or, you know, looking over their resume or, you know, about to start a LinkedIn profile or about to head into an interview, just any last bits of encouragement? I say, just go for it. Don't think about it too much. Don't overanalyze every little step or every little tweak on your resume. Just start putting things out there. And the more things that you start putting out there, the more things that are going to start coming back. So um, don't overanalyze like, is this the right career move? God's going to lead you in the right direction. And even if it doesn't feel like the right direction, he's still going to be there with you. Um, I've learned that with every single career move that I've made and whether it was quote unquote, the right thing to do, that's the wrong way to think about it. He has placed you there for a reason. And so I found that if we look at our workplaces as an opportunity for ministry too, it doesn't really matter where we're at as long as we're in the presence of God. I love that. Jenna, thank you so much for being here. I I know that this is going to be so helpful for women. And guys, I can't wait to hear what happens next. Keep us updated. Um, yes. Share it with Jenna and I on Instagram or wherever. Just connect with us because I want to hear what you do and what God does um, through the things that Jenna shared with us today. I know that we have women in our community. Every single one of the women in our community are just world changers, just women that are going to make an enormous yeah. impact on their corner of the world. And our whole world is going to be better as a result. And I can't wait to hear what steps you guys take because of the things Jenna shared. So Jenna, thank you so much for being here today. And thank you for having me. I appreciate you. Friends, that was our last episode of season 12. I feel like the season flew by, right? But we'll be back in just a few weeks for season 13. And I am so excited about the brand new episodes we have in store. But before we go, I would love it if you do two quick things. The first is to subscribe. Subscribing to the podcast is the best way to make sure you never miss an episode. It's also a way easier way to listen because it's a way of sort of bookmarking the podcast. You never have to go looking for it again. Your app will just automatically download the next episode when a new one's released. And it'll also let you know the second we're back for season 13. The other thing that would mean so much to me is if you would take a quick second to leave a rating and a review for the podcast. The way that iTunes knows to suggest the podcast to new people is by the ratings and the reviews. That's how we invite new friends to our girls' nights. So would you do me a huge favor and take just a quick second to leave a rating and a quick comment about how you like the podcast so far? It would help us out so much. And thank you to all of you who've left all of those beautiful five-star reviews already. It means the world to me. All right, friends, thank you so much again for listening to this episode and for listening to season 12 of the Girls' Night Podcast. And I will see you in just a few short weeks for Girls' Night Season 13.